morning we're continuing uh, our time in Mark, and we're entering into uh, the middle of Mark 8. Last week we did 26 verses, and it was this zooming out to really see who Jesus was, uh, to watch as he leads his disciples in a growing knowledge and understanding of who he is and what he's doing. And this week we zoom in again, right, and we've got three uh, short verses, four short verses where we see, like, what is Jesus saying to his disciples as he walks with them? What is he teaching them? There aren't that many times in the first eight chapters where Jesus has directly interacted with the disciples. And so, uh, these are the people that he's invested his time with. Um, these are people that he is, he's led and he's been both encouraged by and probably uh, frustrated with. But these are the disciples that he's teaching. And so today we see him talking to them. And he's asking them some questions. And they're, they're questions that really point to this faith aspect that we've been talking about for a while. The idea that if you would come to Jesus, it would be you would come by faith. You would come with an expectation that He is who He says He is. Whether I see the evidence of it or not, I believe it to be true. We've seen people come to Him for healing. And, and the belief that He could heal is what actually has made them well. We've seen him, people come to Him with faith that He could raise from the dead. Which is crazy and mind-blowing, but it's a real and evident faith. And so today, Jesus is asking his disciples, who am I? Both, who have you heard people say that I am, and, and who do you think that I am? And so this question is, is like guttural. This question is at the heart of all of Scripture. The question points to Jesus, and who do we say that He is? Who do we believe that He is? Who do we, by faith, come to Him as? And so this question is for us today, just as it was for the disciples and uh, 2,000 years ago. And so we have to answer that question. And so that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. So much of it is... Uh, an identity question. And, and in today's society, identity plays such a key role in everything that we say and do. We're all trying to define our own identity. And yet Jesus doesn't ask the disciples who they are. He asks the disciples who He is. Who do you say that I am? And so that's got to be countercultural for us. In a society and in a day and age where everyone wants to define who they are, the question is not even about us. The ultimate question that everything hinges on is about this man, Jesus, who Peter says is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Pray that God would uh, change our hearts. Like even as we begin to to filter the, the Word of God through our own lens and begin to make it about us, I pray that we would be able to step out of that by the power of the Spirit, through the working of His Word today, and we would sit under that and say, God, who are, who are you? And that we'd really ask that question and long to know that answer. 
before we get to anything about who we are in light of that, that we would give all glory and honor and praise to the one who is worthy of it. Amen? Let's pray and ask God to do that. Lord, we know that your word is true. And it's a growing knowing. It's not, it's, it's not I know and so I'm never going to doubt. No, Lord, we still have doubts. And so we pray that, that even in the midst of those doubts right now, as we read your word and as we see this beautiful proclamation of belief and hope and faith in a Christ, the anointed one, the one who has come to restore all things, Lord, that we would believe that true. God, we know that we cannot conjure up that belief. We can't uh, have enough evidence in our own minds for that belief to happen. We know that that's a gift from you. So, Lord, we would ask that you would give the gift of faith today. Lord, I pray that you would give that gift to our children as they, too, hear the same words, the same questions being asked to the disciples, Lord. And, and that at a young age, they, too, would say, He is the Christ. He is the one that everything hinges on. He is the one that I need for life. Lord, would you do that in all of us today? We ask this, Lord, even uh, throughout the world as your uh, word is being proclaimed today, that there would be those who believe. Those who believe for the very first time and those who continue to grow in their, in their not yet belief, Lord, um, just as we read last week. So Lord, we thank you that, that we can pray all these things with confidence, trusting you to do the work that you're doing for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we really just have two questions. Um, two questions and an answer. And so that, like preachers, we break things down into threes, because that's just what you're supposed to do. Um, so it's nice when, the, when in the passage, it's already broken down like that for me. So we've got two questions, two questions that Jesus asked the disciples, and then the answer that's given by Peter. And so that's where, where we're really going to look this morning. But to set the context, we need to remember that Jesus is walking and traveling with these disciples. And what are they doing? Like, what is the purpose of... Remember last week we talked about what is the point? And we talked about these signs that they were doing, that they were seeing Jesus do, these signs of a coming king... That Mark is really uh, portraying in his gospel this servant king, this one who would come and lay down his life for those around him, for those that he's come to save, for the, 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 the poor and the broken, for the lame and the beggar, for the blind and the deaf and the dumb. He has come for them. And while maybe we think, um, I'm not blind, I'm not deaf, I'm not dumb, um, we still have the same need. We need a Savior who would come and who would rescue us out of our brokenness. And that's what Jesus is doing. And that's what the disciples are seeing. And that's, those are the signs that they're being given that He is the one that they've been waiting for. And so they're walking along the road. And Jesus engages them. And He says, uh, And Jesus went on with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, listen, on the way, while he is doing the work, he's asking them, and he's teaching them, and he's engaging them. We like to 
to, to not be doing the work. We like to figure things out and then maybe go. And yet Jesus' way of teaching was always He was going and He was teaching at the same time. Some of us, we, we won't get it until we actually do it. Right? Does anybody, anybody sit in school and you, you can hear all the theory, but until you actually go and put it into practice, that's when you actually get it. That's the beauty of Jesus. Like He knows that a lot of us are wired that way. And so when He teaches, it's often while He's going, while He's doing. And the beauty of that is then we don't have to have it figured out to go and do. So God's called us and then He enables us and gives us everything that we need to go and do it. So if you're waiting to figure it out and have it perfect before you go and do it, let's just stop right here and we'll say, hey, you don't need that. God's called you to go and proclaim, to be a proclaimer of His goodness and His greatness. Do it best you can. You have the Holy Spirit. You have God's Word. You have the, the church to do it with. So go and do it. Don't wait. Don't wait until you have it perfectly because just like the disciples last week, they didn't have it yet and we won't ever have it fully until we see Him face to face, right? And then all of our doubts, will be, they'll be gone because we'll know Him. But don't wait and try to figure it out. Go with Jesus. He'll teach you while you're going just like He does with the disciples. And on the way, He asked His disciples, He said this question, Who do people say that I am? It's a great question. And it's a question for the disciples because he, he begins with, hey, let me, let me ask you a question kind of about the culture, about the people. What are you hearing in those crowds? Because there's tons of crowds. Like, who are people saying that I am as I'm doing these things? How are they responding to the miracles? How are they responding to the hard teachings? What are they saying? And so there's an expectation that Jesus has that His disciples are listening to what's going on. There's an expectation that Jesus has that we would both be in our culture, right? In whatever setting that He has placed us in to listen, to hear what people are saying, and then to respond with truth. But often we'll become so siloed and so engulfed in uh, trying to separate ourselves from culture rather than being right where God's put us and listening to what they're saying so that we can respond with truth. And we won't even hear the questions that are being said. We won't even hear the answers that are being given because we've become numb to them. So Jesus has an expectation that His disciples are listening, that they're engaging with the people. He expects that they listen to Him. That they hear His teaching as He teaches the crowds. It is not simply for others. The teaching that He's giving is for them first and foremost. And so the, the, He asks them the question, Who do people say that I am? And, and it's important. They, they respond and they have three answers. It says, They told Him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Listen, the idea that Jesus would be tied to John the Baptist is, is a biblical idea. All of the Old Testament pointed to one who would come before the Anointed One, who would proclaim the goodness and the excellencies of the Anointed One, that He's coming, and that's what John has done. And so John and Jesus are tied very closely together. John has come and he's made the proclamation that there's one coming who I'm not even fit to tie his sandals he is going to restore and redeem all things. 
And then Jesus comes and John points to him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That's huge. Like that's, they're, they're tied together. And, and yet, we also see that culture ties them together. The culture of the time. If you go back, remember uh, we, in chapter 6, Mark 6, 14 through 16, King Herod had this idea that Jesus was actually the, the reincarnation of, of John the Baptist. And he was scared because he knew that he had killed John the Baptist. And he thought that Jesus was coming back and he was going to have a, a recompense to pay, right? There was going to be something that he would do. And so Mark six fourteen through 16 says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So John the Baptist and Jesus are, are tied together. And so that's why some people would say he's John the Baptist. What about that Elijah piece? That, that piece is different for us. You know, I was reading and um, the, the idea that Jesus would be Elijah is, is an interesting one. But if you go back to the very last words of the Old Testament, you go to the book of Malachi and now... That's the Old Testament as we've been given it. I don't know that everybody had it perfectly like that at the time, so maybe that wasn't the last words that they read. But for us, it's the last words that we read in the Old Testament. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Stop. No more speaking by the prophets until Jesus comes. That's the last word that they're given. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus doing these miracles, these signs and wonders. And of course, the Jewish people, their mind is going to go to Elijah. This, this must be Elijah, the one who has come back. And who is going to bring the, the day of the Lord where the hearts of the children, the wayward hearts of God's people will be turned back to the Father. And we will see the heart of the Father for His children. James Edwards in his uh, Pillar New Testament commentary is helpful in this. He says, No Old Testament personality held such fascination for first century Judaism as Elijah. The reason lay not in his deeds... For the accomplishments of other Old Testament figures, Abraham, Moses, David, even Joshua, exceeded Elijah's. The reason lay in the report that Elijah had been taken bodily to heaven, where he was believed to oversee the deeds of mortals, to comfort the faithful, and help the needy, and above all, to return as forerunner of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So they had this vision that Elijah would come back, the day of the Lord that's spoken about by many of the prophets. The day of the Lord that is both a day of, of wrath and judgment and a day of restoration and recreation and a fixing of all the things that are broken. That day is the day that they're longing for and they knew that Elijah would have to come back before that day. There was an expectation that they had that Elijah would come back before that day. So now they see Jesus doing all these incredible miracles they're like, man, that guy, he's sounding like Elijah. 
The idea that he would come to comfort the faithful and help the needy. And everywhere that Jesus went, he met people in need and he met their needs. So yeah, they tied this idea. Some would say John the Baptist. Some would say Elijah. And others would say this great prophet. This great teacher. The great teacher piece has been vocalized by many. Like, if you go outside of Mark and you go to one of the other Gospels and you see Jesus teaching in the synagogue at 12. And everybody marveled at His teaching. We've seen in Mark where when He would go to the synagogue and teach, people would be like, wait a second, isn't this guy from Nazareth? Like, nothing good comes from Nazareth. And yet, He is teaching some profound stuff. He's blowing our minds. He's a great teacher. We know that he's a great teacher because he has intimate knowledge of the Father. Like, (laughs) he's the best teacher because he's God. And so when he speaks of God, he's speaking of himself, intimate knowledge of who, who God is and what he's done. And he has the whole plan of how God is going to restore and redeem a broken people to himself. And he knows that God is going to use him as a suffering servant, to lay down his life because that day of the Lord is coming. The day of both wrath and mercy where it's all poured out. Where the wrath is poured out on Jesus and the mercy of God flows from Jesus to us. That day is coming. So you have the the three proclamations or the three answers that the disciples give them is hey some people say that you're um, you're John the Baptist some people say that you're Elijah some people say that you're a great prophet listen they're listening they, they they know what the culture is saying they know what the people are saying and so they re- repeat that to Jesus and Jesus asks the second question he says but and that's key. But who do you say that I am? Verse 29, and he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. But who do you say that I am? You see, our, our answer needs to be thoughtful, needs to be outside of culture, needs to, needs to take what, people, what other people are saying, but ultimately our answer has to be our answer. It has to be an individual answer. It can't just be a repeat of everyone else's answer. It can't be your parents' answer. It can't be your best friend's answer. The answer that Jesus is asking for is, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, but the reality is that all of them have been thinking about this question. They've been talking about this question. They've been having this conversation. Remember Mark 4.41, Jesus just got done calming the seas. And 4.41 says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So they're already asking this question, like, who is Jesus? I... Like, he's more than just the dude that we walk with and that we teach with. He's, he's sovereign. He's God. He calmed the storm and the seas. He's something other than what I had in my head about who he was. And so they're all talking about this. And maybe, maybe there is a chorus of answers, or maybe it was just Peter who's kind of bold. We've seen him. He's, he's, he's excitable. 
He gets pumped up, and he answers, but you are the, you are the Christ. What does that mean? You are the Christ. For us, it's, uh, it's become a, a last name of Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. Um, but the reality is that, that Christ is the Greek word for uh, a Hebrew word, Messiah. And both of them mean the anointed one. The anointed one. And what, what we don't understand is, is we don't understand anointing. We, we sort of understand coronation, but we don't have a king, so we, we haven't figured that out either. We, we think, well, that's the elected one. That's the one that, that most people voted for, or at least most of the electoral college voted for, right? Whatever that means. Now they're in power. But the reality is that in, in this time, there was, the anointed one was either a prophet Prophets were anointed by God. Was either a priest. They were anointed by the people to go before them, to intercede for them, between, to be a mediator between a holy God and a sinful people. You didn't want to be that guy. Or the anointed one was a king. God's representative to a people. Prophet, priest, or king. And so when we look at the anointed one in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, we see all three. We see Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus, the one who has, who has brought the good news and declared that good news that all the prophets declared before Him, saying there would be one who would come, and He has declared that same thing, and He is the one who, who has come. He's the priest we know that as Jesus moves and, and, and as Mark 8 begins to turn toward Jerusalem, okay, we've, we've done all of the traveling throughout uh, that we're going to do, and now Mark is beginning to situate us as we, we turn with Jesus and the disciples towards Jerusalem to watch what Jesus does in the coming months as He moves toward the cross. And so Jesus at the cross is the priest. He is the mediator. He is the one who takes our place. And, and the wrath of God is poured out on Him. Listen, when we talk about the day of the Lord, that is the day of the Lord. The atonement. Where, where the sin of all people, Jesus takes that. And He didn't deserve it. He was perfect. And He took our sin and our shame and He bore it to the cross and the wrath of God was poured out on Him in that moment. And at, at that moment, if we are in Christ, if we believe that He did that for us, then now His righteousness is bestowed on us. So He becomes both the one who's, who received the wrath of God and the one who pours out the mercy of God on a people that don't deserve it. When we talk about the day of the Lord and, and the prophets talk about the day of the Lord... They're pointing to that moment where Jesus came and he, was, he, he intercedes for us. He takes our place. He mediates for us as priest. Finally, Jesus is anointed as king. And I think that that one for us is the hardest. We've already proven as Americans we don't want a king. <laughs> we got rid of the one we had. 
But the reality is that none of us want a king because none of us want to be told what to do. We want to create our own identity. We want to be able to say who we are. We don't want to be told who we are. That sin was the very first one. When you look at the sin of Satan, he was beautiful. He was uh, perfect. He, he, he was adorned in majesty and yet he was not satisfied with just being one of. And so... He, the Bible says that he, he, he wanted more, not satisfied with what he had been given. Adam and Eve, same thing. Given everything that they could possibly want, the beauty of all of creation, role as regent, role in, in, in authority and as as given the garden and not satisfied, wanting more, wanting not to be told what to do. And so they sin and they disobey God. And we do the same thing. We don't want to be told who we are and what we should do. And so we rebel. We don't want a king. And yet we've been given this good, perfect, faithful king. King Jesus, the anointed one, the holy one, And so today, if we would claim that we believe in Jesus, if we would say, you are the Christ, you are the anointed one, He is the anointed one not only for salvation, but He is the anointed one as Lord. With the right to tell us who we are and what we should do. Where we should go, how we should live. He is the God-man. In Matthew's account of this, passage, there's a, there's a response that Jesus makes to, to Peter saying that he is the Christ. Matthew 16, 15 through 19 say this, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You see, this idea that, um, this proclamation that Peter makes, it's beautiful because Jesus responds and he says, yes, that's true. And what we have here is we only have the beginning because the story, this conversation is going to continue. Next week we're going to get into like, the, past the, the beauty of saying, Peter saying, you are the Christ, to, to Peter saying, no, you can't be that Christ. That, that can't be the way that you do it. And Jesus actually saying, get behind me. You're wrong. So, so what we have here is the beauty of this first part of the confession, but it's an incomplete confession. Because not only are we given what is the, the hope of Jesus, that He would come, that He would be the anointed one that would restore all things, but we're also given the idea, the means that He restores all things. How He's going to go about doing that. He's going to go about doing that in a way that they were not expecting. He's going to go about doing that by serving rather than being served. He's going to come go about doing that by laying His life down as a ransom for many. And that's the part that the disciples are going to have a real hard time with. And it's going to take Jesus continuing to walk with them and leading them and showing them. Listen, this is the way of the suffering servant king. 
This is the way of the anointed one. And if you would follow me, it's the way that you will walk also. And it's going to challenge everything that they believe. Pastor Jeremiah Fife was helpful as we were discussing this passage this week. And he said, the focus of the Messianic prophecy was on the result and not the means. Listen, they hoped in, in one who would come and restore all things, that would overthrow the government, that would r- get rid of all suffering and brokenness and, and crying, and there, there would be no, no more uh, sickness and death. They wanted that. And so the focus was on the result rather than the means of which they would come. They were looking for fruitful results without Jesus' faithful means. But we've been given the whole story. We've seen... That Jesus has not only come to produce that beautiful and, and fruitful result, but He's come in a way that is faithful and kind and beautiful. Ben Witherington, in his, uh, his commentary on Mark, says this. He says, Peter is indeed the representative of the twelve, but he re- represents both their insight and their blindness. With this pericope, Revealing both sides of this reality. By calling Jesus Messiah, Peter sees Jesus as God's anointed and so most blessed one. But there appears to have been little or no expectation in early Judaism that the Messiah would come and suffer. Peter obviously doesn't understand Jesus' messianic vocation yet. And Mark, for his part, wants to make evident that until one understands who Jesus is, one cannot understand why he had to die. Thus, Peter's confession, while true, is not the whole truth about Jesus. That's where we're left with this morning. And so, the the question then becomes, who do we say that Jesus is? Because that, that question is for all of His disciples. All of those who would seek to follow after Him. Who are you following? Who do you say that He is? Because that question is important. Do we profess Jesus as the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah? Because if we say that, then that means that we're also saying the Anointed One is the King. And so I'm going to follow the King in the way that He's taught me to live. I'm going to lay down my wants and my desire for comfort and control, approval, I'm going to to die to those things. And I'm going to live in in what He's called me to do. And maybe I'm never going to be known. Maybe I'm never going to have a name for myself. But Jesus may be known. And the name of Jesus might be lifted high. And maybe I'm going to be rejected. Maybe people are going to hate me. Are we willing to live like that? Are we willing to do that? And listen, there's things that we do that people hate us. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to get those two things confused. There, there's a sinfulness in us. But is there a righteousness in us too that is also rejected by people? Right? Do we proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? He's the only way to the Father. Because that will really stir up some things in this day and age. People will think, well, what about, what about those that don't believe in Jesus? Well, I, I don't make the rules. But I'll tell you that that's what Jesus said. Are we, gonna, are we willing to live like that? Are we willing to walk in that truth? 
Because if, if what we're saying, Jesus is the Christ, He's the anointed one, then it's going to really close some other doors. But it's going to open the doors that need to be opened. Like this, this question is so important. And we want... Our tendency is to dumb it down. Our tendency is to say, well, that's okay. You, you, you can just believe what you want to believe. But if this is true, then they can't. They absolutely can't believe that Jesus is a good man, or Jesus is a great prophet, or Jesus is Elijah, or Jesus is John the Baptist, or whatever it is that they would say that Jesus is. He has to be the Christ, the anointed one, the one who has come and laid down his life that ours could be saved. Do we profess Jesus as the Christ? C.S. Lewis, great quote, probably many of you have heard it before. He writes in Mere Christianity, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you, and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. We can't dumb, dumb down what Jesus is saying. We don't have that opportunity. We don't have that right. We accept Him as He has presented Himself, which is Lord, Master, Savior, or we, or we reject Him. And that's not just for us, but that's for a dying world that needs to hear that truth. And so we come and we make this confession. Our confession has to be different from the confession of the culture around us. It can't be, yeah, Jesus is really good and He, and he, and he brings all these good things. No, the confession is that, that He is Lord. And He came and he, he laid down His life that we would be saved. And then, if we are in Christ, He calls us to lay down our lives in the same way. And you say, I, I don't know if I'm going to die on a cross. No, but you will be called to die to yourself. You will be called to die to your reputation, to what you want, to your name being great. And you will be called to live so that His name is great, so that His reputation is made much of, so that His fame is spread through all of the world. God, we pray that today we would believe that to be true, Lord, and that even in that calling, we would find a satisfaction and a joy and a hope unlike any we've ever known. God, that when we say that Jesus is Lord of my life, it would not sound like a burden that we are carrying, but it would sound like a freedom that we are experiencing because if You are Lord, that means I do not have to be and I get to walk in what You have called me to walk in. 
God, would you re- restore unto us the joy of our salvation, that we are saved, that we have the fruit of reconciliation, of redemption, of wholeness, because you were broken, because your life was laid down. Lord, and may we not leave the same way that we walked in, but may we be changed, God. May we, may we have a right priority, a right goal of making you known, of rejoicing in you, God, we pray that you would do this by your work, by your spirit, by your word in our hearts, God. Lord, would you form us into a people who believe this desperately. And not just believe it for us, but believe it for others, that we would proclaim that good news to others. We trust you in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.